uh, it says let's honor mothers and the rest of the time uh, you know patriarchal society is really good at um, at, at uh, wearing mothers down taking taking rarely giving back r- rarely sustaining the mother rarely nurturing the mother it's usually the mother's job to give and give and do and do so please think about that you know if you hadn't really given much thought to the fact that uh, if you're a mother or not simply because you uh, have not birthed uh, a child um, you know just um, uh, you know give give what I've said here tonight um, uh, you know a rattle around in your brain you know marinate on it a little bit and uh, you might find uh, you know the the creatrix in you uh, deserves to be mothered uh, and nurtured and um, uh, appreciated and even if you have to do that for yourself okay um, also tonight um, I have some great feedback uh, I want to share uh, I got a great email from um, uh, a longtime listener uh, I am going to share with you toward the end of the show after uh, we chat with my great guest tonight um, And uh, I also wanted to tell you that uh, a past guest uh, sent me an email, and I'm so happy to share it with uh, everyone out there. Uh, You might recall, if you're a regular listener, her name was Pia Orleane. Um, And on December 6th, um, uh, I had the pleasure of having her here on the show. I interviewed her uh, about her newly released book called Sacred Retreat, Using Natural Cycles to Recharge Your Life. Well, Pia's book won an award. It won the Nautilus Gold Award for Women's Literature, um, and I and under the category of Better Books for a Better World. And uh, I am so happy to uh, share that with you and uh, give Pia uh, our congratulations and a pat on the back for a job well done. Um, you know, women, we really do have to support one another because one, uh, when one of us is successful, we are all successful. Uh, we really have to get out of the bad habit, you know, maybe some of us grew up with to compete with one another um, or to, to, um, you know, maybe be disappointed in ourselves if we see someone else has achieved something we wish we had achieved. Uh, it is so important for our future as women. It is so important for our solidarity um, that we um, hold each other up and congratulate each other and, um, you know, uh, think about other women out there as our allies and uh, not our competitors because there is certainly enough for all of us to share. Um, we don't don't have to feel like the pieces of the pie are limited. So anyway, uh, warm congratulations. I'm so proud of Pia uh, Orlene, uh, O-R-L-E-A-N-E, Orlene, Orlean. I'm not sure if she kind of puts the French spin on that. I don't recall. Uh, but look up her book, if you didn't already, Sacred Retreat, Using Natural Cycles to Recharge Your Life. Um, her website is P-I-A-O-R-L-E-A-N-E. P-I-A-O-R-L-E-A-N-E.com, Sacred Retreat, Using Natural Cycles to Recharge Your Life. So again, congratulations, Pia. 
And uh, tonight, uh, I want to turn my attention to uh, my wonderful guest I'm looking forward to chatting with. Um, her name is Rachel, Rachel Pudelic, and uh, she has a, a, a new book out. I think it just came out in the last few days uh, called Freya's Daughter. Uh, Freya's Daughter, uh, no doubt she has a, a, a Nordic bent. Uh, I think Lagatha from Vikings is one of her heroines. Uh, as is mine, I just love Lagatha. And when Vikings come back, if they kill her off, I will be devastated. I guess I'll probably have to talk with Rachel about that. I don't know if I'll even keep watching the show if they kill off Lagatha. Uh, but uh, that has been a great uh, uh, TV show. I don't mean to go down a rabbit hole here, but if you uh, have not been watching Vikings, I think it might be on the History Channel. Maybe Rachel, our guest tonight, can can tell me. To tell you the truth, I've kind of forgotten because it's on hiatus right now, and I think it's going to be back in the fall. But uh, we talk about strong female leads. I've been watching it for several years, and it started out uh, where the men were all in control, and the women were their subjects, more or less, uh, except for like shield, shield maidens like uh, Lagatha. But uh, things have really changed over the course of the scripts in the last few years. And the way it's sort of shaping up right now, um, you know, the women, the women are wielding the power, um, it, it, you know, much like it is on Game of Thrones. So anyway, um, I am... Um, you know, kind of going down a rabbit hole here. So let me uh, refocus uh, on tonight's show with uh, Rachel Pudelic, uh, and that is in, entitled The Empowered Woman. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about Rachel, and then uh, we're going to start our chat. Uh, Rachel, um, well, you know, I asked her to provide me with a bio, and she kind of went in a different direction than most people go, and I really liked it, so um, I want to share it. Uh, Rachel is a dog hugger and a tree lover. She could have went the other way around, too. She could have said a tree hugger and a dog lover. <laughs> um, she said growing up with three sisters sparked her passion for both women's history and women's advocacy, which led to her career as a birth doula and childbirth educator. These days, she channels those passions into writing fiction. When she's not writing, Rachel enjoys hiking, attempting to grow her own food or reading, uh, Rachel lives in Seattle, Washington, with her husband, two daughters, a cat named Lucifer, and two well-fed guinea pigs. And as I said before, her debut novel, which has just come out, is Freya's Daughter. And we're spelling that F-R-E-Y-J-A, Freya's Daughter. So, uh, Rachel Pudelic, welcome to Voices of the Sacred Feminine. Thank you very much. I'm so glad to be here. Well, I am so glad to have you. Um, you know, I, I'll be honest, I don't often have a lot of fiction writers um, on the show uh, because I always look for guests who um, are going to teach listeners something, um, you know, or, you know, there's something about the story, something about the interview that's going to uplift or, um, you know, tell us something we don't know, you know, kind of like continuing education. Um, but, you know, mm -hmm. I just I just love your, your book so much and um, your story. Um, so, so let's, uh, 
let's uh, you know let's just uh, start at the beginning. Tell us a little bit about uh, your journey and why we call tonight's show the Empowered Woman. Yeah, well, to me, fiction it can be empowering in so many different ways, just like nonfiction can be. So I've read women's biographies, but I also like Lagatha. Um, you can find uh, that that empowered woman in these characters and these archetypes that you can kind of gleam onto. And it's a, I think through fiction we can learn safely, like in an environment that doesn't scare us a whole heck of a lot because it just feels like entertainment. But at the time we're actually uh, absorbing information, and and I hope through my books empowerment as well. Chill, are you kind of? Uh, disappeared for a moment are you still there oh no i am still here okay Uh, okay okay keep let's keep going there was some sort of weird little glitch but you know what i agree with you uh totally that uh the archetypes or we can call them role models uh that we read in our fiction can really have a incredible impact i i remember one of the things that really um, was was inspirational for me within goddess spirituality in these early days when I was new to all of it was uh, the book The Myths of Avalon by uh, Marion uh, uh, Zimmer Bradley. And I know she's become sort of a controversial author, but at the time I didn't know anything about that whole backstory or her personal life. Uh, it, but the book was just incredible, and you saw how uh, the role of one, women could be so different than what we were taught or what we grew up with. Oh, exactly. Um, the Handmaid's Tale, which is now a show um, on, I think, Amazon Prime. That one, you know, started out as fiction, obviously. And and right now, especially with, with what's going on in the world, women are really uh, finding empowerment from from the characters in that show also. Okay. Well, and we were talking. <laughs> well, we were talking before the show. I mean, I feel like you've really come full circle here, and um, uh, and and you know, you are, you are now an inspiration to so many listeners because you told me before we went on the air that uh, you started out as a listener of the show five years ago, and now here you are on the other end, actually providing the inspiration. Speak to that a little bit. Yeah. No, I. You know, five years ago, I was still, I, I want to call it like in the closet spiritually. Um, I was leaving the church behind. I was trying to find what path was the best one for me. And I was listening to your show weekly. Um, I was going back and listening to past podcasts. And it really was a sense of um, camaraderie almost, like, like an empowered sisterhood, kind of lifting each other up. And it taught me a lot and it, it it kind of shattered a lot of what I had been taught growing up about women and our history and religion and everything like that it, it definitely gave me um, new things to consider yeah, you know, I really do believe we have to relearn everything uh, because so much <laughs> so was true. kept from us. 
Um, you know, and we really we have to re- totally reshape ourselves. We have to reprogram our minds um, uh, because uh, you know the way we grow up is is not what's best for us usually. <laughs> um, you know, yeah. we don't have the right information, the, enough information. We're you know we're we don't grow up in an empowered environment, and you know that's what we're trying to provide ourselves uh, ourselves now, like with the Me Too, the Me Too movement. Yeah. I remember even when I was young, I remember I was a little different than the other girls at church. And I remember asking my dad one time, like, what if we're wrong? Like, what if what we believe is not right? And oh, my gosh, I got I had a lot of trouble for that one. Um, so even I <laughs> then, I remember asking questions and getting in a lot of trouble for it. But I still didn't, you know, I still didn't realize until I was researching for a novel and I was researching ISIS and I started seeing, um, I didn't know a lot about ISIS. And so I started, uh, it blew my mind what I had learned, you know, about her, her story and kind of how that came way before Jesus. And yet ISIS um, was said to have brought her husband back to life. You know, like it, it just made me start really rethinking everything I had learned. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I remember when I was, you know, writing, I think it was the Sacred Places book, and I was researching, uh, I think I was researching Artemis, and I was going back, 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 back. And, uh, I, and I think it was one of Anne, maybe it was one of Anne Baring's books. I can't remember exactly, but she made the connection between the symbols of Inanna and Ishtar that went back mm-hmm. to the uh, the fish and the net and I thought to Mm -hmm. myself gee that ends up being Jesus's symbol down the road you know and uh and and so much was stolen you know so much was stolen from um you know from the goddesses and uh yeah co-opted and yeah so we really do have to take responsibility for our own educations that's so true I was I don't remember exactly what because this was years ago but I was researching Ancient, an ancient civilization, I want to say it was Celtic, but I'm not exactly sure, and how maybe it was English, but the, they, what they did was the women, when they bled, they would leave the village area and bleed onto a stone. Does, does that sound familiar? It was something along the lines that they would leave the village area, and it was supposed to be like a sacred, um, a sacred happening. This was not that they were unclean or anything. They were actually doing something for the village. They were uh, basically bleeding out the village's um, hurts or negativity or something along those lines that had accrued during the month. And it really struck me because I used to teach the Bible. And I remember teaching about um, how Jesus, it was prophesied, and then he had to leave the city limits to die on the cross for our sins. And what is that? That's shedding blood for our sins. And I was like, whoa, whoa. Like women shed, were, were shedding blood for people for their village's sins a long time ago. So right. Definitely well, you know, a correlation. When, you know, yes, yes. And <clears throat> as a former uh, former Christian myself, you know, I, I tell mm-hmm. people, you know, I Catholic, um, you know, I think so many Christians, I, I mean, myself included, you know, we never really learn uh, where all that Christianity belief comes from. And, you know, we just sort of swallow it and believe it and accept it. Uh, but when, but if we 
um, or inspired to dig deeper. Um, I love when, you know, like people like cart upset so to speak and you know we're willing to look at well where did that come from and then you realize it was all just um, um, uh, what, what's the word I'm, I'm it, uh, when you steal somebody else's something um, <laughs> uh, you know, it was just co-opted yeah, well, in a way, yeah, in a way it was plagiarism or it was co-opted. Uh, you know, they just took the beliefs that used to be goddess beliefs and globbed them on to Jesus or Christianity or uh, whatever it was. And, and, you know, and it makes sense because if that's what the people were familiar with, then it made mm-hmm. the transition to the new religion uh, Christianity in this case it made the you know the uh, transition easier like when they would go plop a church on top of a sacred site of a goddess or something you know um, oh, people yeah. were used to going there you know or, or how they co-op the holidays and but anyway we're we're kind of um, uh, you know leading ourselves astray um, I am curious um, are you particularly connected to the Nordic goddesses that you chose uh, to write Freya's daughter, I am actually not. I it's 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 funny. I'm con- I'm connected to trees, and so what started was I wanted to create a or not create. I wanted to find a woman from folklore who was demonized um, through patriarchal societies, but beforehand was glorified, and she and I wanted her to be really connected to trees because that's a huge connection for me. So um, I found the Holdra, and she is a Norse folkloric woman who used to be the protector of forests. And then later down the road, um, as patriarchy kind of came in and um, religion, later down the road she became a seductress um, of men who would um, have sex with them and then kill them. And um, the only way to heal her or to fix her was to marry her in a church. So kind of entrap her. <laughs> oh, don't you love the solutions? Uh, the solutions just, to yeah. these uh, wild and crazy women. Um, you know, men. You know, I hate to say it, but men <clears throat> really show how how fearful they are. You know, um, it's, so it's, true. it's it's it's. You know, really, when you think about it, you know, they're afraid of sex. Um, you know, they're afraid of women. They're afraid of menstrual blood. Um, you know, so they make all of these rules to keep women under control. You know, it, but if mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, it, but if they if they weren't so fearful, and, and please, you know, I have lots of men who listen to the show. We love you. We're not talking to your type of guy. You know, we're talking to the fearful ones. You know, who want to control women's bodies and um, you know have them be barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen. Um, you know, it, but you can see the fear in these ideas um, that they, um, you know, uh, you know, uh, forced upon women, and how it becomes mythology, and then it becomes a way of life, and it's part of culture and society. Oh, absolutely. And I so the reason I came up with Freya was because I I thought, okay, well, if I'm going to use a folkloric woman from Norse mythology, I should also use a goddess because in my world, in the wild woman world um, of this series, the way folkloric women are created was when goddess temples were being destroyed, um, the goddesses breathed her abilities into her top, into her high priestesses. 
and that's how you've got folkloric women. And so um, Freya breathed her abilities in create, into her high priestesses and created Holdra. And the other women in the book are um, Lilith into the succubi. She created them. Um, Agatargetus, uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, um, she created the mermaids. And then Mokosh, she's a Russian goddess, and she created the real Seiki. And, the, um, and then Inanna created har- uh, harpies. So, cool, cool. Yeah. And, and so do you cover all of, all of those uh-huh. different – I mean, is, is it, will you learn about all of that? I mean, did you weave that all together in Freya's Daughter? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I wanted to create – like, I've seen a lot of authors that write um, feminist fiction, but to me, they're still writing a story about strong women in a patriarchal world or strong women who their sense of strength was um, – measured by the men's male attributes. I wanted to write a story about whose strong women whose st- sense of strength were measured by female strength attributes. Like her feminine aspect is what makes her strong, not her masculine aspect. And so to do that, I wanted to introduce um, our culture, introduce women to these different goddesses and these different folkloric women and or these different folkloric women in a way that was comfortable and not like... Um, scary which okay. is fiction okay yeah and and so and so what do you do you mean something different by female empowerment in your particular message since female empowerment is sort of the topic of our show yeah well um in for me empowerment means to feel strong in your own mind and in your own skin and so when i talk about female empowerment i mean to pull the strength from your feminine aspects uh, to ultimately feel strong and confident as a woman and not to measure yourself by male standards or even the male standards that were, even the standards that were created by men for an empowered woman. Like I've heard so many men say, oh, she's a strong, independent woman, and it just irks me so bad. Yeah. Well, or, you know, you're making me think about women in politics. You know, how many mm. women in politics or in the boardroom went around emulating men rather than playing to their own strengths, you know? And I think that's what you're yeah. talking about. That's exactly yeah. what I'm talking about. I've actually um, had readers – sorry, go ahead. No, 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 you, no, go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt I've, you. Yeah, I've, I've had um, a couple of readers ask me when they finish the book, well, who's the leader? And which it makes me smile because I'm like, there is no leader. This is female empowerment. This is females getting together um, as one, not there is no hierarchy. <laughs> yeah, so it's so well, you did your job then, you know, and so you introduced them into a, an egalitarian way of being. Pretty cool. I did. That was a compliment. I did. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, that, um, that's what I think. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and your reader might not have realized it exactly, but um, I, I, I certainly just, I, I, I just got it, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so you, you, were, you were most definitely successful. Um, so how do you think being raised to uh, emulate male archetypes uh, as a way of being strong uh, sh- shifted your perspective in, in your own life? I think it does the same for a lot of women, but it pressured me to dislike my female attributes. Um, 
And I think ultimately it made me feel pressured to ignore those parts of myself or to hide them. Um, I, I remembered when I was a tween, I could not wait to start my period, which was super weird for most people. <laughs> most girls are like gross about it. And for some reason, I just knew the leap into womanhood was sacred, but it was something I certainly kept to myself. I did not talk about it because I didn't want to yeah. be um, like ostracized or shamed for thinking that that was an amazing thing. <laughs> right. Um, right. Well, yeah. It, well, yeah, and, you know, when I think about, you know, uh, women in my generation, you know, like my mother called it, called, uh, you know, uh, heaven your period. It was the, your time of the month that you were sick, you know. It was definitely yeah. a negative thing. But with our red tent movements and our, you know, um, you know, our health, with teaching healthy outlooks um, about this, I think that that has really enabled women to have a better relationship with um, with their bodies, with with um, the, the things that are innately female. Oh, I think so. I think so. And um, I remember for me, like it, 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 I think it wears girls down over time. When I see little girls, I usually they've got sparkles in their eyes. They're they're They've got this like fire in them. I've well, I've raised two of them. They've got this fire in them, and then as they get older, I notice that that fire starts to dim. And I I think it has a lot to do with the pressure that's put on them to kind of silence um, that fire inside of them, basically to stuff it down. Um, yeah. I like to like. I have this this like way of thinking like okay so if you watch movies like every movie and tv show that you watch the sword fighting warrior is male and he's muscular and the sword is really huge and so you have to be super strong to hold it you end up over time thinking that you have that women can't hold swords women can't be sword Mm -hmm. fighters rather than you know what i'm saying rather than changing well we can change the sword we can do different things to it and i think that's what happens to our minds as we grow up we see these men doing these awesome, powerful things, and we think, well, we can't do it because we can't do it the same way that they do it. Well, yeah, because we're equating body strength um, yeah. with strength when there's so many other things that actually project strength as well. You know, I mean, I think it really takes a lot of strength to be a loving and compassionate person sometimes. Um, oh, you know, yeah. sometimes maybe takes more strength to be loving and compassionate and nurturing than it does to go whop off somebody's head, you know, um, or get or yeah. to get angry or to dominate. Um, and, uh, yeah, and, you know, in, in uh, things that I think may be more naturally uh, or feminine aspects, you know, the compassion, nurturing, um, uh, you know, those sorts of things, well, you know, we equate those things with weakness, don't we? Uh, but that's just oh, totally. the... Um, you know that that's just the patriarchal narrative that that we've been fed, but it's so totally untrue. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And then I think that ends up putting girls into these roles um, that were kind of that were designed by men for girls to go into. Like, uh, if you watch the older shows, I know it's changing now, but if you watch some of the older shows from even the '80s and the '90s that girls fit in certain archetypes, these certain roles. They're either manipulative or they're catty or, you know, they're demure and quiet. Mm-hmm. 
and it's always roles that seem to um, mirror the male characters. Uh, like, um, it's almost like the female characters are cardboard and the male characters are the layered ones. And the female's yeah. uh, personality or attributes is just to push up the male character, and that's it. Well, when so you think it about like it, it's given. probably because so many of so many of the television writers are male, and they don't exactly. they don't know much about writing a layered woman. You know, just like Hollywood doesn't know a whole lot about um, writing for an older wise woman. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. uh, it's only recently I think we have older women in movies um, that are showing maybe a quality. Uh, character and not just some old hag or something, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. That, that was... Yeah. I, it, it took me nine years to get published because of this. Because <laughs> I was I, writing look, about look, strong girls. I, I, I don't... I don't doubt it. I have been trying to get a TV series done for over a decade. But the problem is Mm -hmm. all the gatekeepers are men. And number one, they don't get it. Number two, I've been told over and over again, they have to cater to Southern evangelicals, and we can't get them upset. Mm -hmm. And number three, it's too smart, you know. So (laughs) that's a sad testament when those are the three things that keep, um, you know, something of quality uh, off the air, you know. But it, anyway, it, it, really is, it is, is what it is for now. I know, yeah. <laughs> so let, let, let's talk a little bit about your personal uh, female empowerment journey. What did it look like if, you know, you had yeah. to kind of describe it? Yeah, um, I was raised a conservative Christian, very. Um, the women stayed home kind of thing. Uh, we didn't wear skirts or anything, so that was nice. We were a part of the evangelical movement, so it, was a, it wasn't a, the traditional side. Um, but I was raised in a way that, you know, as a girl, you let your father protect you, and then your husband protects you from the big bad world. And so essentially girls are raised to fill a victim role. And then if you don't want to be under your husband or your father's protection, then all of a sudden you're a harlot or you're a witch. You're stubborn. You're unruly. Um, and anytime you speak up, you're throwing tantrums. Um, I'm not saying this was my family's view on it. This was uh, the, cult, the subculture that I grew up in's view on it, the church, basically. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it, it was like you were a victim or you were a vixen or you were a villain, and that was about all of the roles that you could play. Um, I remember sitting in church one time and I, as an adult woman and the pastor was talking about how God says that the, in the Bible that the woman should submit to her husband. And he looked out at the audience and he said, any of you women who want to argue with me are basically being stubborn and ungodly and you're throwing a fit because you're not getting your way. And it was <laughs> right there was like so obvious. Yeah. <laughs> was, that, was that what shifted things for you? That was actually in the. I was starting to. Um, I was starting to re-examine things. So I hadn't yet shifted it, but I was definitely started to re starting to re-examine, and that was one of the things that uh, I I was disgruntled with. <laughs> right. Right. Well, but and I'm if this question too. I, yeah. No. Go ahead. You you go. You were still at the point where. I was still at the point where I was 
um, wondering, am I being stubborn? Am I um, being unruly? Do Is this life, do I need to just shut up and color kind of thing? Or is this, this, uh, this part of me that bucks that, is that something I need to listen to or is that something I need to silence? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, you know, and let's face it, um, there are women that are willing to make that compromise, you know, to mm-hmm. submit. Um, and, and, you know, and, and I don't want to judge these women. I, I really don't. Um, you know, if, if they are truly happy that way, then, you know, I, what can I do about it, you know? Um, but for the ones that have more, uh, who aspire to more, um, they shouldn't mm-hmm. be in that trap and shackled, you know. Um, oh, I agree. Because I think, yeah, because, I mean, there are women and men who are willing to take a back seat and let somebody else, you know, uh, be at the reins. Yeah, when I was a doula, um, something that I, I, of course, was all for natural birth. Um, but something that I reminded myself was when my mom, my patient, my, my client, wanted a medicated birth that's her right to have a medicated birth and as a doula i'm there to set to advocate for the mom giving birth so if i'm going to tell say that i'm an advocate and then tell her that she doesn't have the right to do something that i don't agree with that that makes no sense so that's how i feel about this too if that's their right to choose that path if they want that just that's not a good that path doesn't fit for me at all yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, whatever you know, whatever we want, you know, we should have the freedom to go down, uh, go down that road. Um, so, what I mean, I, and if any of these questions are too personal, you know, you you know, you won't nah, offend I'm, me if you know I, I'm, I'm crossing the line. But I'm wondering, what was the final straw for you, and did you have any pushback from your family or your community? Oh gosh, well, the final draw we um my husband had gotten out of the military and we had been asked to move to a different state to um uh to start a ministry with this church and so we moved to the other state uh we had to be a part of that church for six months before we were allowed to lead in ministry and during that six months we saw some things that upset us within the church and um one of the major parts was um, the male leader of the children's ministry was a totally different person out of church than he was in church. And out of church, we had seen him be abusive towards other people, yelling and cussing at other people. And we thought, well, he's a children's leader. This needs to be brought up. Um, his, his, his inconsistent behavior needs to be brought up to the pastor because he could really do some damage to little kids. So um, we had a private meeting, and we told the pastor, and we were shunned from the church um, because the pastor said that we were trying to cause dissension within the church. Wow. um, Oh, yeah. So I called my dad, and he came and got us and all of our things, uh, sweet, sweet, uh, in the middle of February. And he he drove all the way down from Washington, came and got us, uh, loaded us up. We went back to Washington. and then things started to finally get comfortable and fine for me, and then I started getting body memories of being sexually assaulted. And that right there was the turning point. Like, just Ugh. seeing all these things that didn't work and saying, okay, what in the world is going on? Why, it, 
what what led up to this sort of um, sort of questioning? Right. If that makes wow. sense. Wow. Yeah. So you weren't. Yeah, well, first of all, you weren't just a, a congregant in a church. You guys were being primed to be leaders of a church. Yeah. And for you to, like, totally do this about face. Um, and your husband yeah. was cool with it, too? You you didn't get pressure from him? He was um, he was seeing the hypocrisy, too, I guess. He, You know, it's funny. I'm the one who pulled him into the church. Um, he wasn't really a big part. He didn't really care for uh, religion at all. And I was a huge part of the church, and I pulled him in because the church said that the husband needs to lead the household spiritually. And so I got him into it. And so when I wanted to get out, he was like, well, thank goodness. <laughs> wow. So he, um, well, you know, this is, this is scared, so interesting. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, no, so he, let was, me, he was scared. Yeah. Yeah, he. it's funny, we... When I first started, we sat across from each other at the Olive Garden, and he goes, he said, please just promise me that you're not going to be pagan. You can do anything you want, just please <laughs> promise me that you're not going to be pagan. And we still joke about that today because I am. So and he's absolutely supportive of it. He actually went to the witch's ball with me last year. <laughs> so what was he afraid about? It just disinformation? You know, he thought pagans were, yeah. you know, um, eating babies or something? <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. We're satanic um, and demonic. Yeah. Right. Well, which All is the, funny because even satanic usual... people aren't horrible. They're wonderful people. So, <laughs> yeah. But, well, you know, he, he, disinformation. Uh, so, you know, uh, well, you know, since you've been on both sides of it, um, I wonder, you know, and this is kind of off the subject a little bit, but it's a subject that's, you know, bouncing around in my head like a ping pong ball. You know, the hypocrisy we see in Christianity today, particularly the evangelicals who are out there professing to be about Jesus and uh, family values and goodness, and then you have them um, caught up in prosperity gospels and greed and supporting people like Donald Trump with all of his marriages and his in the and his scam businesses and I mean what's happened to Christians I, you know um, it feels like they're the satanic ones. I know I actually had a conversation with my mom about this the other day we were um, she was talking about um, the world's going to hell in a handbasket sort of thing and I asked her I said what are your goals politically and faith-wise, what are your goals? And she said that everyone's equal, that everyone's loved and listened to. And it was interesting because I said, you know what, Mom, we have the same exact goals. We need to come together in this instead of fighting each other. You know what I'm saying? Right. I think it's like, it's almost like it's become a subculture, um, the evangelical church. And I can't speak to others, and I have evangelical friends that I love, so I don't want to hurt them. Um, but it's almost like this is a subculture that they kind of get swept away in and um, of misinformation. Yeah. And it doesn't seem that there's a lot of critical thinking either, you know. Um, well, I, I, I could be totally to. wrong. Well, yeah, I mean, it's yeah. probably challenging. You know, if if you have critical thinking, that means you're asking too many questions, you're rocking the boat, and then that, that makes you not a good Christian. Is that is that kind of the deal? <laughs> Yeah, each church is different. So some churches absolutely are, are, they want you to think critically, 
but some of them don't. And the ones that I went to, I remember um, a lot of them would, like, they gave you a list of nonfiction books that you can read. And you don't want to read outside that list or you don't want to read outside those authors because those are the authors that you can trust are speaking God's word. Okay. It's given to you in a different way. It's not like you can't do this or you're going to get in trouble. It's be very wary. The world is an evil place, and Satan wants you to go astray. So um, mm. be careful what you read. That that sort of wow. way of thinking. It's, it's really fear-based. Well, more and than that's anything. also – well, there's a subtext there of, gee, you're weak, you know, um, mm. you, you're you vulnerable, you know, um, be afraid, I mean, I'm hearing that, too, there. Uh, but but I suppose that's how they make keep the sheep the sheep. Oh, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. there's a lot of yeah. fear that's, that's used. And I think a lot of people yeah. don't realize it. And they wonder, like, why aren't I happy? Why am you know, there's a void. And I think I'm, I think it's because it's like, well, that's because you're operating off of fear. But they just, they don't know it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. Um, so let's um, let's you you kind of alluded to past uh, sexual trauma. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. Where do you want Where do you want to go with that? You know, what advice um, would you give someone who might be be dealing with that? I mean, especially in light of the you know all the the Me Too stuff that's happening right now. There's a lot, like. I think a lot of times, especially women, we're we're kind of raised to subconsciously think that we're objects. Um, and when you think you're an object and then something happens to you and you don't have the right feelings about it, uh, like when you're treated like an object, but obviously you're not, so you have feelings. And so then you start wondering, why am I feeling this way? I shouldn't be feeling this way. What's wrong with me? And that right there creates the self-blame, and that's a perpetual cycle of guilt. Um, rather than blaming the person who assaulted you, you start wondering what ha- what's wrong with me that I'm reacting in this way, that, that it's affecting me so badly. Um, and, as far and, as it, and I would imagine if the, if the person who perpetuated this, the 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 abuse, the sexual abuse on you is someone that was supposed to love you and care for you. That makes it that much more confusing. Oh, totally. And a lot of them groom, especially if it's underage children, they'll, they groom them in order to kind of, um, to make them think that it's their fault. Um, that hasn't happened to me per- personally, but I've mentored other women who, ha- who it has happened to. And we're, they were told over and over again, you could have stopped it if you wanted to, but you didn't because you wanted it. And so then they start thinking, I can't tell anybody because I'm the one who caused this, this horrible act. So it's, yeah. yeah. There's definitely that involved also. And it usually is somebody that they know. So um, in, your, in Freya's daughter, um, well, first let me ask you, is it, uh, it going to be a trilogy or a two-part, or is it a standalone book? It is a trilogy. I'm bringing in more goddesses and more women from folklore. Um, so definitely, yeah, it's a trilogy. Um, but real quick, I wanted it, to go back because you asked about what advice I would give to people dealing with oh, yeah. sexual trauma. Yeah, 
Yeah. Um, I, I would encourage any person who is experienced to get help from a certified therapist or a psychologist. And I wanted to say the Psychology Today website, they actually have Therapist Finder. And on the Therapist Finder, mm. you can click through what preference you want. I did not want a therapist who came who would um, have patriarchal leanings. That was important to me. And I also didn't want a religious therapist. And so I went through and looked at the ones in my area, and then I went through and saw, okay, I wanted one that was um, dealt with sexual trauma and women's issues and one that said she was a feminist. And that's how I found my therapist. And I absolutely suggest that for, for survivors who are trying to get help. Um, so that's, that's through, kind of the key. If, if, you, if you want one that's, that's not mired in patriarchal thinking, they'll usually say they're a feminist. Yes. Or you'll, you'll see other little signs um, about their beliefs and about like how they conduct their therapy different therapists do it differently and so i that's why i love psychology today's therapist finder because they have the therapist list what their modalities are and what their belief systems are and what they specialize in so you can see and usually their picture so you can kind of get a feel and see if it's a good fit and then after i went through the years of therapy um then I went to a therapist that specialized in hypnotherapy, and we went. She she took she hypnotized me and kind of took me back to my child self to talk to my child self, and then went forward again. And oh, huge huge difference! It made a huge impact. Wow. Now um, I think you told me something about uh, women who have been sexually assaulted. Um, they have PTSD symptoms um, that manifest in oh, yeah. health issues. Uh, it, talk about that a little bit. Definitely. Um, according to Rain website, which is the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network, one in every six women has been a victim of an attempted or a completed rape and one of every 33 men. So you could see that huge difference. Um, according to the National Sexual Violence Resource Center, one in five women and one in 71 men will be sexually assaulted in their lifetime. And when we're talking about kids, obviously that changes. One in four girls and one in six boys um, will be sexually assaulted before they turn 18. So if you look at that and then you think about PTSD, um, the, I think the biggest part of, because we have the Me Too movement and we, women are coming out and talking, and I think the next step is to talk about um, the after effects of the survivor and how it affects their life. Uh, PTSD is post-traumatic stress disorder, um, and it affects about 81% of female sexual assault survivors. Um, some of the symptoms of PTSD in women is they're jumpy. They have trouble feeling emotions. Um, they can they go numb basically. They disassociate. They avoid things that remind them of the trauma. They suffer from depression and anxiety disorders and physical health problems. So, hmm. yeah. So, to me, when I'm thinking about uh, the need for strong female archetypes, it. It, to me, it's important on a path to empowerment because when you've suffered sexual assault, and statistically, obviously, women way more so, um, the odds that you'll experience PTSD symptoms is really high. Um, 
so being a woman, we're already told to shut up half the time and that our voice doesn't matter. And then when you are um, a victim of sexual assault, then you also have the PTSD, which causes so many other difficulties. So, um, so you're pushing past the physical ailments. You're pushing past um, even feeling the emotions. And then even if you feel them well enough to process them, um, your anxiety is so extreme, uh, it, it, it's hard to speak up. And that's why I think empowered female archetypes can actually empower real women survivors of sexual assault and kind of give them a voice. Yeah. Well, you know, um, lately I've been seeing, um, and, and I don't know how new this is, but it, uh, but I've started to notice it, and the people I've heard talk about it act like it's new, um, that psychologists are starting to, um, instead of, say, you know, when they see a problem person, whether they be a criminal or a juvenile delinquent or something, they instead of saying what's wrong with that person, now they're starting to say what happened to that person. Because every, mm. you know, all of this sort of acting out, you know, all of these bad choices maybe we make later in life oftentimes can be tracked back to um, traumatic experiences. Uh, I have a friend oh. who I'm going to have her on the show in a few months. You know, she believes that you can even be suffering from trauma that your ancestors experienced. You know, it's in your mm. DNA, literally. Mhm. Yeah. Mhm. Yeah. The, so, um, no, go ahead. I I totally forgot what I was about to well, say. <laughs> well, it, but that's but you know think about that you know for a minute and I mean you know I don't know how credible that is that you know uh, and by what I'm saying is you know I don't know if we carry ancestral trauma in our DNA but man it sure would explain the ugliness and the hate and the violence in the world wouldn't it you know it really um, would. and. Yeah, you know, because, I mean, look, I know a lot of us live in parts of the world that are horrendous, and but, but for people who live in the West, more or less, you know, life is, I don't know, I guess pretty normal unless, unless you've, you know, been abused or, you know, like, like we're talking about and, and, and have had something like that happen. So for average people, I think, to be filled with so much hate and fear and ugly, um, I don't know. It, it makes sense to me that maybe we do uh, carry uh, trauma from our ancestors, and if our ancestors were slaves or were abused or were burned at the stake or whatever, you know, um, maybe that explains our, you know, some of the ugly things we do and the fear we have and. Um, I, I don't know. It, it's something to think about, and and it's not like we're stuck with it, you know. I mean, uh, these people who believe this, um, you know, they do rituals and have ways to heal it. Um, mm-hmm. So anyway, it, it's it's just something I've been thinking a, a lot about lately, you know, because um, you know, so many of us may have had things happen to us that we've just stuffed. Um, and, uh, you well, know, and, and maybe we have to dig them out and look at them. Huh? Well, yeah. I mean, even disassociation. Um, like, for me, I, my first sexual assault was when I was a young child, and so I disassociated from it. Um, I didn't remember it until I was an adult. But I still had all the symptoms. 
um, as a survivor when I was younger. I, as a teenager, I used to cut myself um, because there was this, like, it was kind of cathartic because I felt like I was punishing myself for being me. And then when I got a little older, I was, I, I dabbled in anorexia and then my mom caught on and started making me eat. So then I dabbled in bulimia because that was the only way that I felt like I could control something about my body because I felt like someone else took control of my body and I never got it back because I didn't feel the same. So, yeah, so many people. It's a big subject. I mean, it's a really big subject. We could uh, do a show just on that. Um, um, So, Rachel, I know I I know you're a fan of Lagatha too. Um, It's uh, because you said that I, I, you know, made some of the comments about uh, her that I did at the top of the show. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, tell me about uh, tell me about your connection to Lagatha from Vikings. Yes. Okay. So I started watching it, and right away. I just, she really resonated with me. She's a wise ruler. She's a loving mother, a strong wife, a shield maiden, a loyal friend. And it, I think that was the first time I had a strong female archetype to look up to. And it was crazy because I remember thinking, wow, so this is what men get to feel when they go to the movies. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> this was kind of cool. I, and there was times... Um, like when I needed to keep going to therapy, but I was afraid of the feelings that it was bringing to the surface um, or when I needed a champion for my own physical health, but I feared the repercussions, I would think to myself, what would Lagatha do? And my answer was always, she would stand up, dust her knees off, put her shield out in front of her and keep pushing forward. And so that's what I would do. And it just, it was something that I could, yeah. (laughs) And it really, it really (laughs) did help me push forward. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I love that. I really character. do. Well, and yeah. you know, and, and I know this might sound silly, but you know, I, I you should write her a letter. <laughs> you should write her a letter. No, and tell her. You know, I should. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, even um, yeah, the woman who plays her. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I so hope they don't kill her off this year. If they kill her off, I'm just going to die. <laughs> I'm done with it. Um, She's the reason I'm watching this show. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, it's hard oh. enough to watch it without uh, her husband. You know, um, I don't, I don't mm-hmm. care for the son so much as I did um, Ragnar. Uh, but uh, yeah, if they if they do away with her, I, you know, it just won't be the same. Yeah, and th- there was another. Um, I went to that very first women's march in 2017, and I had never been to a protest before. I had never marched for anything before. Um, I had really bad anxiety for a lot of years, so I didn't do a lot of things outside of my comfort zone. So I've, I'm, I, I started doing a lot of firsts later in life. Um, so, and I hardly ever drove to Seattle by myself. And so I was so terrified, and I tried to get friends to go with me, but they couldn't. And my husband was away at a funeral, but, like, I knew I needed to go to the march. Something felt just really strong within me. And so the night before the march, I stayed up, and I watched the suffragettes. And I kind of gleaned from the women who came before me. I used their real-life archetypes, and they gave me the courage I needed. And that next morning, I, I gathered my, my children, my daughters, and, we, and we, I drove them to Seattle, and we marched that day. And it was one of the most empowering experiences I've ever had. 
What a wonderful story. I love it. I love it. I know my husband and I took our vacation once uh, during the um, Occupy movement in Washington, and we used that mm-hmm. as, as an excuse to go to Washington, D.C. for the first time, and we marched with the Occupy movement. And it was one of my first marches, too. And I know what you mean. You know, it changes you. Um, it, it really does. Um, Anyway, well, um, you know, is uh, you know, it, I didn't even take a break at the, um, you know, at at the half hour like I planned. I was enjoying our chat so much. Um, is there anything else you wanted to say about uh, empowered woman or Freya's daughter that we haven't uh, talked about? I I wanted to give some um, some a message that I received during meditation when I was going through my own healing process. If that's okay. Sure, yeah, go right ahead. Yeah, so the message was, um, so just kind of for other people or anyone else who's going through this process, um, that your body is your temple, and someone forced their way into that temple and went to work smashing things for their own enjoyment. What they did was wrong and twisted and has nothing to do with you. The temple doesn't blame you for their actions, and neither should you. Try as they might, they cannot ruin you or your temple. It is not in their power or their place. Only you reign in your temple, and only you have the power to pick up those broken pieces, those shards of clay and tile, and rebuild your temple, this time into a mosaic of your choosing. And this is something that I had written down after I had gotten it from meditation. It was something that I just, you know, told myself often, basically. Well said. Well said. That's really beautiful. I'm glad. I'm, you know, what a great way to end uh, end our chat tonight. I love that. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you. And Thank you. Um, and listen, I hope I, I hope you will keep in touch. Um, I love your story. I love the fact that you started out a listener, and now you've written a book, and you're on your way to you know being a leader and a great mom, and you've overcome so much. I mean, you're you're truly you know the the archetype of uh, of the empowered woman. So. So, you know, <laughs> congratulations. You know, you've you've come a long Thank way you. and um uh, you're 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 just doing awesome things and I'm I'm so glad to know you and chat with you and you know, let's let's be sure we stay in touch. Likewise. Okay. All right. So, um, listeners, I have been chatting with uh, Rachel Pudelik, and um, you need to go check out her great fiction book, uh, Freya's Daughter, and that's F-R-E-Y-J-A. And uh, her website is her name, Rachel Pudelik, P-U-D-E-L-E-K.com. Well, thank you, Rachel, uh, for being on the show tonight, and uh, the best of luck with the new book. Thank you so much. It was great talking to you. Same here. Same here. Uh, Well, as um, I uh, come to close to the close of the show tonight, um, I want to share an email that I got from another listener. Uh, Tonight has just been, um, uh, you know, great uh, validation uh, for Voices of the Sacred Feminine for me. Um, You know, as I was telling Rachel uh, before we uh, started the show tonight, you know, 
you know, it, it costs money to do the show. It takes a lot of time to find guests and get everything coordinated for each guest to be on the show. And, uh, I mean, it's a lot of work. And, you know, to have a show almost every week, um, you know, when you work a full-time job and, you know, have a family to take care of and, you know, other outside things that you do as well, you know, sometimes you, uh, you know, you wonder if it's all worth it. Um, and um, I, I have to say here in, uh, you know, Rachel, uh, her feedback and the feedback I'm about to share with you from another listener, um, I'm not going to mention her name because, I, to be honest with you, I forgot to ask her if it was okay. But I would, would like to read some snippets uh, from the email that she, uh, that she sent me. And um, so my point is I love hearing from you guys. Um, you're gas in my tank. You keep me going. And it helps me know that what I'm doing uh, is making a difference and I'm not just talking uh, out there to a big black space. So anyway... Um, she, this listener wrote and said, uh, hi, Karen, Reverend Tate. Uh, I know this is incredibly random and I suspect you are constantly bombarded with emails, so I'm not expecting a response. However, I deeply admire your work and I'm seeking advice for, uh, for a friend of hers who lived in a part of the country that there were not a lot of people, uh, speaking the goddess language, so to speak. She said, first of all, thank you um, so much for, uh, for all that you do. Um, y- your books are high on my list, and they're must-reads. Uh, though I am completely struck by the vast breadth of topics you address and your Voices of the Sacred Feminine podcast with such luminaries as Carol Christ, Marianne Robbins-Dexter, Marguerite Rigoliozo, Charlene Spretnak, the late Merlin Stone's partner, etc., among countless others. Thank you for making this incredible resource available to those of us who are new to the goddess path like myself. I'm thoroughly enjoying the episodes I have had a chance to avail myself of thus far and have found many ways of expanding and enriching my spiritual worldview through them. Uh, I am proud to be a part of the cognitive minority. I'm glad that expression is catching on. Uh, Thank you for reclaiming this title as countless queer women, men, and non-binary folk have claimed the epithet queer from its formerly pejorative use. Keep doing what you're doing. You are truly uh, an inspiration. So um, I want to thank this listener so very much for uh, her words of appreciation uh, and uh, encouragement. Uh, So uh, let me just take a quick break and uh, I will be right back. Hello. Let me say a few things about Joe Carson's film, Dancing with Gaia, an exploration of Earth-based spirituality shot at sacred sites around the world. Here is what Drusilla Pettibone said on Dearmist.com. I was truly touched and even awed by the film. I don't think I can comment on it adequately until I've had a chance to watch it a couple more times. I really appreciate that there is so much substantive information to digest. For example, the info about hinges and tracing the horizon line is all new to me and totally fascinating. The film was obviously very beautiful and I was amazed 
Howard was able to capture so many of the descriptions visually and seamlessly connect vintage footage with modern. I especially loved when images were dynamically superimposed on each other, like the lace with the water and the dancing in the flowering meadow. A visual feast and with so many layers. I am also so pleased to have been introduced to Monica Shu and her work. It's so important for pagans to become aware of our heritage. It seems easily lost among so many new books, and the film really brought me home in a new way. Dancing with Gaia is available at dancingwithgaia.com. to the trailer for Dancing with Gaia, Joe Carson's feature-length documentary film. In it, she interviews 15 visionaries and teachers about earth energy, sacred sexuality, and the return of the goddesses Gaia. Joe traveled to ancient sacred sites all over Europe and the Mediterranean to shoot this film. These spiritual sites from northern Scotland to central Turkey profoundly affected the origins of Western culture. If you've always wanted to see them yourself but haven't, this is an opportunity to experience some of the best ones and get their story. The DVD comes packaged with a 45-page color mini-book, which goes even deeper into the material. You can buy the DVD and the booklet for only $20 at dancingwithgaia.com. So um, I guess I want to close tonight's show by, um, you know, something that uh, popped into my head as I was reading um, the, uh, you know, some of these little snippets from the person who sent me the email, uh, you know, and so generously and lovingly saying she appreciated my work. Um, You know, one of my uh, pet ideas right now is uh, how important it is that, you know, once we learn about the goddesses and we learn about the female archetypes and we empower ourselves, uh, you know, we really have to start thinking in terms of what I like to call goddess 2.0. And it's about what goddess spirituality can do to change the world. And... um, you know, that's why I've been doing some of the last anthologies that I've done, uh, like Goddess 2.0, um, you know, that's uh, that came out, uh, oh, I don't know, was it a year ago or so, Goddess 2.0, um, uh, because, you know, Goddess spirituality is such a huge uh, umbrella of teachings, and I think that's why I've had so many different people on the show, from Vandana Shiva to Noam Chomsky to uh, political pundits, you know, uh, scholars, uh, it, you know, because I truly believe that once we get past the point of um, recognizing that there were goddesses across the globe and 
um, in the living traditions of goddess spirituality that used to be the ones that are still alive today, what goddess spirituality can do for women personally. You know, I think it's really important that we start looking at the values of goddess spirituality and how that translates into the kind of world we want to see. And, you know, and I'm, I'm talking about politics. I'm talking about economics. Um, you know, Rianne Eisler, uh, who talks about partnership, who talks about a caring economy. Genevieve Vaughn, who talks about gift economy. You know, um, we really need to reconcile our spirituality and our politics. And I get really angry when I see, uh, I'll just use Christians for an example, who claim to be about family values and then they want to give tax cuts to the rich and cut food stamps for children, you know, or it's all about, you know, benefiting the 1% and to hell with the 99%. Uh, and, you know, so that's why in my mind, um, you know, I, I, I think the values of the sacred feminine um, have to um, move into the political arena. And we have to be very you know, uh, people out there who are running for office, who are running organizations, who are running corporations, uh, and, you know, support the ones who are in alignment with our values and don't support the ones that aren't. And, you know, that goes for who we vote for, that goes for what products we buy. You know, we could so easily boycott the corporations who are uh, raping the earth and um, exploiting workers, you know, we just have to be smarter consumers. You know, uh, we could use our consumerism to help change the world. And I know a lot of people are doing this, but I know a lot of us aren't. So I'm just throwing that out there. You know, um, I know we're all busy. Some of us are working two jobs. Um, you know, we have all on our plate that we can handle. I get that. I'm not saying add something else to your plate unless it's small and manageable. But, you know, if you hadn't thought about this, think about it and find something else you can do to help make the world a better place, whether it be volunteering for somebody's campaign or, um, you know, maybe being some sort of consumer advocate um, uh, you know, maybe it's maybe you change what you post on your Facebook page. You know, if you have people who read what you say or you have a blog or something like that, um, you know, uh, you know, don't just show cute cats all the time. You know, show something that um, that maybe gives people some information that helps them make better choices. Okay, I'm going to get off my soapbox now, and uh, I think you, I think you kind of get it. And um, you know, and if you have any questions, you are always welcome uh, to pop me an email. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm happy to explain what I'm talking about if everything I just said there made you go, huh? <laughs> okay. Well, I want to thank my guest tonight, uh, Rachel Pedelic, and um, myself. Uh, I am looking forward to uh, Freya's daughter and uh, uh, part two and part three. I can't wait till she gets around and writes those. I sure hope she comes back on the show uh, when those are out and published. And um, uh, I hope you will actually support her and her work. Uh, you know, give uh, her book to yourself as a gift for Mother's Day, maybe. 
uh, or, uh, you know, buy it for a friend for um, their birthday or just for nothing. You know, buy it for a friend just because they're a good friend. All right, well, that about does it for me tonight. Um, I will will be back uh, next Wednesday. I hope you will return. And, um, you know, I always ask uh, listeners to support the show if the show is uh, something that has been meaningful and helpful to them. And if you can't do it monetarily, uh, please uh, share the links of the shows uh, on social media so that more people learn about Voices of the Sacred Feminine. I'm always open to show ideas and guest ideas, um, and uh, it's easy enough to um, to find me and send me an email or send me a you know a, a message uh, on Facebook. Uh, okay, so let's uh, go ahead and close uh, tonight's show. Uh, I think I'm going to let you hear a little bit of Abigail Spinner McBride, uh, Orms of the Mother. All right, that'll do it for me tonight. Uh, Please have a great uh, Memorial Day. Uh, Enjoy the summer, and uh, be good to yourself and uh, the people you love. Good night. Evil Mama.